I invite you to open up your Bible to John's Gospel, chapter 15. We're continuing on in our series of messages that I've entitled Fruitful. And today's title is Abide in My Love. Abide in My Love. We saw last week that uh, fruitfulness, we can, we can define fruitfulness in this way, uh, that, put it up there. I want them to be able to see it. Did I not get that up there? Oh, there it is. Okay. The ongoing development of a Christ-like character which produces Christ-like conduct in a believer's life. And we said last week that Jesus is divine. We are the branches and God the Father is the vine dresser. And, and we talked about being fruitful and how in order to be fruitful, we've got to remain in Christ. We've got to be connected to Christ. And so Jesus uh, extends that metaphor even further, and he begins to talk about love and how the love of God actually is that fertile ground from which every good deed grows. That's our biblical truth this morning. Love is the fertile ground from which every good deed grows. If we think about, though, and I've struggled with this a little bit over the past couple of weeks, is that Jesus is telling them to abide in his love so that they may produce fruit. But then Paul tells us that love is fruit of the Spirit. So how do those two things go together? Well, here's the way it is. When, when we're rooted in Christ, the nutrient ground that, we, that we're planted in, is the love of God. So love is, is both poured into us, and when it's poured into us, it will flow from us. You see that? We love because we've been loved by God. We love because He first loved us. So if God's love is poured into us, God's love will flow out of us, and it will be fruit, we will be fruitful as a result. And so that's why we see Jesus returning once again to this theme of love here, that he's already touched on once with the disciples in the upper room, but now he's going back to it. Now look at verse 9 with me, and we'll read together in God's Word. Do you have your Bible there? To John chapter 15, verse 9, that's where we're picking up. So stand with me, and we'll read together from God's Word. You follow along in, God, in your copy. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let us pray together. 
Our Father, we are thankful for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us with understanding. And Lord, to that understanding that we would add obedience. And Father, that we would grow in the likeness of Christ in everything, Lord. Especially in love toward one another. And Father, that we would produce fruit that abides for your kingdom. Both as a church and individually. And Father, that the world will see you living in us. And Father, that we would be the church you want us to be. For your sake and for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I remember whenever we were living in Faraday, Louisiana, that we had some raised beds. We lived basically in a swamp. Uh, They drained the swamp and built our neighborhood. And so we were living in this low-lying area, and the soil there is not good for anything. They call it gumbo because whenever it rains, it gets soggy and mushy and it's soupy. But whenever it it's dry, it gets hard as a rock. So it's good for nothing. You have, if you're going to grow a garden, you basically have to bring in some soil right there where we lived at least. And so we, we went, we made the uh, about 40-mile journey up, up the road uh, to a little place um, uh, up in the Delta, and we, got, we went to a cotton gin, and we got a load on a trailer bed. We got a load of cotton gin trash. Anybody know what that is? Do you know what cotton gin trash is? Wow bunch of city slickers. <laughs> Don't know anything about cotton gins. Well, so cotton gins, you know what they, what they do, right? They separate the seeds from, the, from everything else. And as they do that, they produce uh, this, the leftovers that come out of the cotton. Well, it makes a really good material. Now, it's not fertile, but it makes a good material for the soil. Then you can put in the other, other parts of the soil. So we made that journey. We brought all that back. And then we went and we got uh, mulch and leaves and sand and everything. And we put it in those raised beds and we cultivated that soil in those raised beds. And we, we just spent a lot of time on that. I put the tiller in there and I tilled it and, and we turned it over and over and over again. And finally, we had some beautiful, rich soil to plant the garden in. You know, in order to have a healthy garden, you've got to start. With the soil, right? You've got to start with the, the foundation of it all, which is where that plant is going to get all of its nutrients. And this is the foundation that Christ has laid, laid that no one else can build upon in, in any other way but to build upon His love. You can't build the Christian life on anything else. You've got to build it upon Christ's love. It's the foundation. And as we're rooted and grounded in His love, then we will begin to produce fruit. Then we will begin to be the kind of people that He wants us to be. But the problem is, some of us, we don't begin there. We begin somewhere else. We begin uh, with things like, well, this is how you dress and this is how you act. Or we begin with, well, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. And we apply a whole bunch of rules to living out the Christian life rather than beginning with that relationship of love. And that's where Christ wants us to begin. But when we begin there, there will be results in our life. And I want us to see just about five results from abiding in Christ's love this morning. So number one, 
Love obeys Christ. So obedience will be the fruit of abiding in Christ's love. Look at what it says again in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, obedience is evidence of love. Obedience is evidence of love. As we look to Christ and all that He commands us, we can, we can see what He wants us to do and what He wants us to be in His example. Now, when Christ described, when someone came to him and said, Teacher, tell us, what is the most important? What is the, the most important law of the Old Testament? What is the most important commandment? What did He say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Then he said, a second is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus has just summed up the entirety of the Old Testament law. If you look directly at the Ten Commandments, the first four of those commandments are all about how we are to love God. Then the next six of the Ten Commandments are about how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says, the law hinges on. That, those commands, to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors ourselves. And what some Christians do when we look at that, and maybe even people that, don't, that aren't Christians, what we do is we see the Ten Commandments and then we write right over the top of the Ten Commandments, we write the word rules. And that, maybe we don't think that word, but, it's, but that's exactly what, the way we treat it. That those Ten Commandments are all about rules that must be kept. But Jesus teaches us another way. He teaches us that that the commands are not burdensome. The commands are not something that are are meant to cause you to, to struggle every single day. The commands are meant to teach us how to love. It's all about, it's not rules, it's about relationships. And some of you need to erase the word rules off of the commands of God and you need to put relationship on there. Because this is about how he wants you to relate to him and about how he wants to relate to other people in your life. And what is the foundation of all of that? Love. That he wants us to love. And Jesus says, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Luke 6, 46, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? If we have that relationship with Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we will desire to obey Him. In John 14, uh, just previous of what we're reading right now, Jesus said to His disciples, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. So if, we, if, we're, if we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, we will obey Him. So love obeys Christ. But secondly, love overflows with joy. Now, we've talked about joy just recently, so I'm not going to go too deep into the word joy, but I just want to talk to you about what's going on with the disciples for just a minute. You know, they're in that upper room, and they're upset. They're troubled. In fact, Jesus tells them in John 14, verse 1, He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. So they're, they're, they're burdened by the things that Jesus is telling them. And their joy is beginning to diminish. And some of us, we're, we've gotten through Christmas time and we've, we sit down and we go, whew, I'm glad that's over. 
And then we get into the new year and we're like, oh, okay, resolutions. Oh, here we go. I got to do this and I got to do that and all those things. And somewhere along the way, we can begin to lose the joy. I hope that, that joy is something that, not, that you don't just have for this year, but I, I hope that you are full of joy. You are joyful. Notice what Jesus says in verse 11. He said, these things I have said to you. Why? So I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. So you'll have joy. But on top of that, and that your joy may be full. You know, full to the brim and spilling over. And these disciples needed to hear this because Jesus had just said, I'm going away. I'm going to die. The Son of Man is about to be lifted up. And when I'm lifted up, I'll draw him into myself, he said. But but they knew what he meant, that he was going to be crucified. They were suspicious about one another because Jesus had just revealed that one of them would betray him. And they started saying, is it me? It's not me. It must be you. They started looking at each other with suspicion. And Jesus told them that they would all forsake him and go away. He said that the scripture would be fulfilled, that he would strike the shepherd and the sheep would be scattered. He even told Peter, in front of the rest of them, you imagine how this made everybody feel. Peter, you know, somewhat the leader of the group, that he would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. They needed to be reassured. And love was the key. Here's just a practical uh, word of application here for joy. If the joy is beginning to diminish in your life, Get your priorities in order. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Write that one down and remember that. Commit that to memory. The the, the recipe for joy is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. If you could get that straight in the way that you treat people and everything that you do, and you begin to love Jesus first, and you love others second, and you put your needs last. In fact, you can even define love this way. Love is putting someone else's needs before your own. That's really what love is about. Love is about putting someone else's needs, someone else's desires before your own. And man, man, we need to learn this for our family's sake. Because we are called to be, we are called to be those that love and protect our families. And if you're going to love them and serve them and protect them the way Christ would want you to, to do that, you've got to put Jesus first. Amen? He's got to be number one in your life. And you've got to put your family second, not you next, but your family before yourself. And then you need to put yourself last. Men, I'm calling you. Just as a man, a man to men. This is what Christ wants you to do. Put yourself last. And that's how you can have joy that overflows. But see, that that spills on over into the the next point that I want to make. It's not only does love overflow with joy. Love offers itself. Love is offering itself constantly for those around. And if we're rooted and grounded in Christ's love, we become a living sacrifice for the glory of God. Notice what Jesus says next in verse 12. He says, 
This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So what is the standard that we measure our love by? When we want to know how to love, what do we look at? Well, we look at the example of Christ and all that he did. He left heaven's throne to become a baby. Lowly, humble, meek, and mild. And he lived a sinless life. But then he died for sinners like you and me. Christ's sacrifice is the supreme example of love. John tells us that the love of God is manifest in this way. See how great a love the Father has given to us. That he would not spare his own son. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus is the perfect example of that. But I want you to understand this. Laying down your life in this way does not simply mean being willing to die for someone. Because how many of you out there would say you would die for the people that you love? Yeah, yeah I'd die for my family in a heartbeat, right? But laying my life down, for the people that I love, doesn't simply mean dying for them. It means being willing to live for them daily. It's more than just being willing to, to in, in one uh, sweeping, heroic event, giving up my life for them. It means the day-to-day, in and out, I'm willing to take out the trash and clean the toilet and sweep the floor and pick up the kids from school, and all of those things. Get up early with Allison whenever she's got to be at work. So I mean, just ungodly hour of the morning. It's the day-to-day, everyday things, being willing to live for the people that you love. That's what laying your life down is about. <laughs> Putting my needs last and their needs first. What I want <laughs> goes to the back burner. What they want is what's primary and of most importance. Jesus offered a clear example of this in John chapter 13, which is prior to what we're reading here, when he took off his outer garment at the end of the meal. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin. And he knelt and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And Jesus says, you don't understand what I've done for you right now, but later on you're going to understand. You'll get it. Now, that's my cotton patch translation. You're you're going to get it later. You'll understand it later. What it means to serve one another and to offer yourself for one another. And each and every one of these apostles did so. They left everything behind to follow the cause of the gospel. And they gave their lives as a result. Loving Christ this way may cost you everything. You know, other than about 20 different examples of the word agape in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, the word agape didn't even exist before Christians adopted it. But they took it in the New Testament to describe the love of Christ. 
And, and the word agape literally means, the way that these Christians were using it, it means self-sacrificing love. That's what it's really about. It means laying everything down for the sake of another. And this is the type of love that Jesus says that we are to abide in, to live this way, that we lay down our needs for the sake of others. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, in Philippians 1.21. But he was convinced that he would continue to live on in the flesh. And he said it was for your sake. He said, for your sake, I am convinced that I will continue to live on. Because he knew that there were those that needed to know Christ and there was others that knew Christ that needed to be encouraged. And he said, so I know God's going to allow me to keep living. But he also said he bore in his body the marks of Jesus. Galatians. Paul was not simply a troubled person with difficulty in his life. But what he said was he was demonstrating sacrificial love toward people, even people who rejected and despised him. And then he concluded in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, he said he was filling up what was lacking in the ministry of Christ. So as we love sacrificially, as we are abiding in sacrificial love, we are filling up the ministry of Christ. We are becoming the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us. In a world that desperately needs to see that. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. He says, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor." Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. But if you do him good, a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. In other words... If you take care of treating someone with love, God will help you love them. Amen? Agape is a decision, not an emotion. And listen, if you take care of the loving acts, action of love, then God will give you the feeling of love later on. Okay? We're not motivated by our feelings. We're motivated by the sacrifice of Christ and how He sacrificed Himself. Love offers itself. I want to tell you fourthly though, and this one for some of you here this morning, this one is probably the most important aspect of what love does and the results of love in your life that you need to latch hold of. Because you've got all of the rest of it, but you're really missing this one. Love opens doors. Love opens doors. Now look at what it says in verses 14 through 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. What? (laughs) Hold up now. Let's back up just a minute. Let's read that a little bit more slowly. You are my what? Not servants. You're friends. 
I mean, if ever there were anyone who had the right to shut people out and keep them at a distance and say, you know, you're over there and I'm over here. And that, that's what we do. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We, we put up walls. Hate and bitterness and resentment puts up walls between other people where we judge them and we keep them away from us. Maybe it's because of past hurts. Maybe it's because of things that they've said before. And we just keep them at a distance. And we're really good at putting up walls. But love opens up doors. I mean, Jesus, He is the Lord of glory. Holy is His name. He, do, he doesn't need us. He didn't need the disciples. Jesus could have done everything He did on His own without disciples. He didn't need them. He is totally self-sufficient. He is dependent upon no one. Yet He desires... Because of His great love, He desires a relationship with us. And He's willing to open up that door. His love compelled Him to become approachable. The veil has been torn. And we are allowed into the holy place. Now you just think about that. And see, at this point, the disciples... We're beginning to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, some of them were still, I mean, they were, they were coming along, okay? They weren't fully there yet. After His resurrection, they all are fully there. But before that, they were even beginning to understand that you are the Son of God. Peter even confessed it. And then for them to hear from the Son of God, you are my friends. We're no longer simply, well, we're, I mean, we began as enemies of God and we're no longer the enemies of God, but no, he calls us servants now, but no longer servants, he says, now you're the friend of God. Now, let's be clear about this for a moment. The Bible never says that God is our friend. The Bible says that we are the friends of God. And the point of that is, that we're not diminishing who God is in any way to bring Him down to our level. Rather, He has sought fit to lift us up to His level. Praise God for that. We have become the sons and daughters of God. We have become the friends of God. He has lifted us up out of sin and out of separation into glory. Praise God for that. Some people talk about Jesus as if he's their, he's their drinking buddy. Jesus is just all right with me. No. Jesus is holy. Jesus is so far separated from you. You would never, ever approach him if it weren't for his great sacrifice. But because of that, now we are the friends of God. First John 3 and 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So you, you see the love of God and what God is willing to do and the doors that God, are willing to, that God is willing to open. You see all of that. And then you look at your brother and he needs you. 
and you build up a wall and you close out close your heart the bible says god's love is not in you you're not rooted in christ you're not grounded in his love and his love isn't flowing through you you're not abiding in the love of god if you close that door If God's love dwells in us, we will open our hearts to others and let them into our lives. We can't shut people out and still pretend to love them. Those two things are incompatible. Either you will love them and let them in, or you will hate them and leave them out. It's one or the other. It can't be both. You say, well, what if they hurt me? Minister Crane told the story of a young woman who had come to his office. Young married woman. She was filled with hatred toward her husband. She said, there's no love in our marriage. He barely notices me anymore. I want a divorce. But I don't only want to get rid of him. I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. The minister, in his wisdom, he says, I know just what you need to do. Go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe that you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes and a smile and exclamation, she said, beautiful, beautiful. He will be so surprised. And she went home and did it. With enthusiasm, acting as if. After a month or so, Crane called and said, Are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I discovered that I really do love him. See, her actions had changed her feelings. The ability to love does not is not established so much by fervent promise as in repeated deeds. And as we abide in Christ's love, we'll open up the doors that hate and bitterness lock up. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a glory to overlook an offense. In our, in our Wednesday night studies, we, we heard this truth about marriage and it said, uh, one of the ministers on, the, on the, the tape said, or not tape, the disc, sorry, that's the old me coming out. Um, one of the ministers on the disc said that a good marriage, a secret to a good marriage is two professional forgivers. Two professional forgivers. It's a, it, is, it is our glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8, Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a, a few sins. 
a multitude of sins. Love covers over it. And here, lastly, I'm going to share with you the last truth about what love's result will be if we abide in Christ's love. Love outlasts trials. You will outlast the trials of life, the trials and tribulations, if your life is characterized the same way Christ was characterized. Listen, the devil cannot touch you if you're abiding in Christ's love. He can can do all kinds of things externally to you, but he will never change the internal reality of your soul whenever you abide in Christ's love. Look at what it says here in verse 16 and following. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Lasting fruit. How can Jesus love me? When Jesus told these disciples, and he's just revealed to them that they're all going to betray him, they're all going to walk away from him, that Judas is going to uh, betray him and deliver him over to evil men to be crucified, and then Peter is going to deny him three times, the rest of them are going to flee, and all of these things are going to happen, and he's going to be left alone. And yet Jesus still tells them, he looks them all in the eye, knowing all of their faults, knowing all of their failures, knowing all the things that they've ever done wrong. And Jesus looks at them and he says, I chose you. You're the ones I wanted. You're the ones I love. I have loved you. He said. Then he says, I, not only did I choose you, but I gave you a special task. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus wanted them to know and wants us to know today that despite ourselves and despite how unlovable we can be, God has loved us with an everlasting love. He said in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, God said to his chosen people, He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have not continued. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God's not given up on you. He wasn't given up on the disciples. He'll never give up on you. It doesn't matter how many times you walk away, God is still waiting there, ready for you to turn around, and He will receive you again. And His love, as that same love is poured into us, it continues to produce more love. The more you love, the more love grows. Love cannot be contained. Hate divides, but love multiplies itself. The love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And verse 8 says, you say it with me, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will cease. They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know, uh, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. In other words, what Paul says is, when we grow up, As a Christian, what do we grow into? Well, we grow into love. That's what we grow into. The more we are growing in Christ, the more His love is poured into us, and the more His love begins to flow out from us. So are you loving the way Christ would have you love? Are you abiding in His love. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You've got to begin somewhere. And if you've never begun with a relationship of Jesus Christ, you're building on something else. The foundation isn't right. You need to get rooted and planted in Christ. And the way that you do that is you trust Him as your Lord and Savior. You forsake everything else and you say, there's no hope for me other than in Christ. I believe that He was the one who died for me. I'm a sinner and He's sinless. And He took my sins on the cross. You confess that sin to Him and you ask Him for forgiveness. And you come to Him in faith. And if you do that, what happens is He saves you from your sin. He forgives all of that. He receives you into Himself. And you become a new person. And then He writes your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And He gives you a home in heaven with Him forever. And if you desire that today, and that's what you want, and you came here not knowing what would happen at church, but maybe you came here and you've been here a hundred times before. But today... He's touched your heart in such a special way that you know that you need Him and you're ready to receive Him. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that are wrong and I've failed to do things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve to be separated from you for eternity. But Jesus, I believe that you paid the price for my sin. You died on the cross. And then you rose again on the third day to prove that you are Lord. Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my heart. Make me a new person. Give me a home in heaven with you when I die. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you and loving others the way that you'd have me. Thank you for my salvation. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? This is our invitation time. This is your opportunity that if you've just asked Jesus to be your Savior, we want to welcome you into the family of faith and celebrate what God has done in you. Don't don't keep that a secret. Don't hold it in. Let us know what Jesus has done for you. And if you're looking for a church home, 
Myrtle Grove Baptist Church is a wonderful place. We're not perfect, but we love Jesus with all of our hearts. And we want to love and serve Jesus alongside you. If you're looking for that place to, to get plugged in, you're a Christian, you know Jesus, you've been baptized, and you want to serve here along the saints, this is your invitation to come and join us. And if you simply need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you. You can come to pray here, or you can stay right in your pew where you are and just spend this time in prayer. This is your invitation. You respond to the Lord as he's leading. Let's sing together.